There's a kind of humor often deployed that I just don't appreciate. I don't like seeing people humiliate themselves, and for whatever reason, I'm terribly uncomfortable with any kind of humor based upon people making, in my mind, fools of themselves. <laughs> Probably because I identify too much with them in such circumstances. Welcome, everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. And let me encourage you to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world. You can learn more about our work and how you can support that work by going to traincpe.org. And to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'd like to think that I stand in the same victory that Paul does, that I have overcome my temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. I admit, though, that I have been ashamed, embarrassed by the way others share the gospel, but that's not the same thing. At least, it isn't always the same thing. Have you ever felt embarrassed when somebody is witnessing the gospel in your presence and sharing the gospel with somebody? I have. And actually, sometimes for the right reason. Just a few weeks ago, I was called and asked if I would pick up a man who was a well-known evangelist who travels around and does evangelism all over the country. And maybe you need to meet this fellow anyhow because of the work you're doing overseas. I'd like to put the two of you together. And I found out that he didn't have a ride to the airport. He had been conducting a ministry out in the valley with some churches. And so he told me where I could meet him and pick him up. And then I would spend a couple hours with him and take him to the airport. I met him at a Starbucks where he'd been dropped off. His suitcase was there. I, I spoke with him. He said, well, very briefly, he says, well, my minister is really, I pass out tracts and I confront people with the gospel. It was exact. I confront people with the gospel. And he says, and I, I usually do it wherever I'm at, but I, I won't do it here yet because I had to wait for a little while because usually they kick me out once I start sharing the gospel. First clue that maybe it's not the proper way of sharing the gospel. I'm picking up his bags and now it's his cue to start sharing the gospel. And he gets up and he starts just going after everybody in that place, you know, you know, you know, you understand that all of you are sinners, you know, the wrath of God, and, and he's trying to stop the people working, just listen for me a moment, sir, young man, listen to me, and, and they're all confused, they have a job and a responsibility to do that place, other people have come because they're trying to wake up in the morning, and you know, the things that are going on, and this is their place where they relax, and going after him, and, and I'm embarrassed, and then when we're done, he shares with me that he's very popular because he's made videos that are We've gotten thousands and thousands of clicks and where he goes into marketplaces and goes in places and he shares the gospel. And he mentions how many times he's been arrested by police. I went and looked at one and he went into a situation which was not set up for a gospel witness. People were conducting business. He starts preaching. Someone politely comes and asks him to leave. He says, I have a right and if you don't want me to be here, you can call the police. And they did. And I was embarrassed. I was not, it was not gentle. And it certainly wasn't respectful. And it didn't seem to be the right place at the right time, and it wasn't. Later on, I started thinking about that, though. I'm not advocating for that kind of presentation of the gospel whatsoever. But I've thought about it, and I realized that many times I've had the exact same feelings when the message was declared clearly from a godly life, and it was set forward directly to persons in a kind and gentle and firm way, and what I could see, they didn't like what they were hearing. 
When I could see that it was offending them, when I could see that it was making them uncomfortable, I was kind of like feeling uncomfortable with them. I was feeling something of the embarrassment. There's something that's within us that doesn't like people to feel shame, and I'm uncomfortable. I don't like to feel it myself, and I was comfortable when I felt like there was a little shame coming upon them, and it's like I wanted to, hey, let's ease off, let's back off. And But is there ever a right place and time to offend people? Is there ever a right time to make people feel uncomfortable? Is there ever a right time to trigger people's self-righteous disdain for whatever? Listen, if you preach the gospel clearly and you state it plainly and it is clearly understood by anyone, it will bring an offense no matter how you share it. It will make them uncomfortable if they gather in what you're telling them and understand its implications. It will make them feel uncomfortable and the natural flesh in any human being will disdain words, those words for that very reason because it goes against their own establishment of righteousness that they're riding on, which the Bible says is like filthy rags. Yes, we have to be gentle and yes, we have to be respectful, but I also began wondering as I meditated upon this last experience, which was really bothersome to me, and it continued to be bothersome to me, and then somehow God was just saying, Joel, how often under this guise of being gentle and respectful and tactful and all those types of things, have you hidden your shame for the gospel? And I was convicted. Because it's a temptation and a subtle temptation. Pilate handed Jesus over to the crowds because he wanted to please them and curry their favor. Pilate's terrible. But, oh, that temptation, in one way or another, still threads its way through our lives, wanting to gain and curry the favor of others and appeal to them. And it sets upon us in this strange temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 12, 2, we read of the Lord Jesus Christ that for the joy that was set before him, that's us, we were the joy that was set before him. He wanted to win us and gain us for himself. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. Paul conquered this temptation. He knew that his Savior had died naked on a cross for his sins to bring him life, everlasting life. And he was going to live to proudly proclaim that Savior and his salvation. I'm afraid, I'm afraid too many Christians have succumbed to this temptation. Ignacio told me that after he became a Christian, the big thing that was a surprise to him was how many Christians he had known, numbers of Christians he had known and worked with, who had never told him about the Lord Jesus. Not once. And it was sad to him, he said, and it was... He didn't understand it. It was confusing to a person who had come into life to see that take place. Well, let's look at this next thing, because if we only go there, I've just made you feel guilty. And maybe I've made you feel a little ashamed of that. But, but we have to go on beyond that and look beyond that. And how was it that Paul conquered this temptation? He says in verse 17, He's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And let me just 
tell you three places where Paul saw the power of God unto salvation to those who believed, and it was the demonstration of that power that loosened hold of any reticence and any shame that he had in the gospel. It was the power of the gospel that he saw being unleashed in people's lives. This is ridiculous that I should be ashamed of something so wonderful. The first thing was he remembered the power of the gospel that he had seen in the lives of believers who had gone before him, those who came even before his own belief. Remember, Paul was one who persecuted the Christians. He chased them and pursued them to death and threw them into prison. And here's what he discovered. He discovered as he was persecuting them that they were discovering the joy of being persecuted for the Lord Jesus. That as he pressed in upon them, they were pouring out peace and comfort and grace because God meets us when we suffer for him. And God provides for us victory in the midst of those moments. And he was seeing the power of the gospel expressed from the very lives that he was pressing in upon. He was seeking to wield them destruction. And the more he did it, the more and more bitter he got and the more and more joyful they became. And it was the power of the gospel. An example, he was of the synagogue that Stephen came into and disputed with them and they had no answer for Stephen. And so because they couldn't answer the wonderful truths that Stephen was bringing to them, presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of Christ of all the hopes of the Jews that are found in the Old Testament, when they couldn't defeat him, they brought accusations against them. And then they brought them before a council in order that Stephen might be judged. You'll find it in chapter 6 of Acts. And at the very end of it, it tells us that the council looked upon Stephen as they were trying to judge him and they saw his face as of the face of an angel. He was exuding and manifesting the joy and the glory of being put in the vice of their testing and of their judgment. A judgment that led to Stephen's death. He was the first martyr. And Paul will tell us that he's the one that presided over the death of his martyrdom. And he guarded over the coats, which would have been the presiding position of somebody who was in charge of the group of individuals who were carrying it out. He guarded over the cloaks of the men who stoned him. A very violent way to die, by the way. Luke is the one who gives us the account in Acts chapter 7. And by the way, Luke would have known this from the witness of Paul because Luke traveled in the cohort of Paul. He went with Paul and did missionary work with Paul. And Luke tells us at the end of the stoning of Stephen, Paul would have seen this. Paul would have heard this. That Stephen looked into heaven and said, Look, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then Stephen says, Lord, over and over again, it says, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, receive my spirit. He's being stoned. It's a horribly violent way of dying. And then as he's being stoned, the description that Paul would have given to Luke was this. Luke says, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And then we're told that while being stoned, he fell asleep. That's the power of the gospel. The violence and the wrath of men being calmed by the precious sleep of God in the midst of a violent world, such prevailing peace, so powerful. Paul saw it with his own eyes. Later on when God confronted Paul on the way to Damascus to persecute more Christians, the Lord Jesus, he said, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? You're doing this to me. And then he says to Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads or the pricks. 
What he's saying is, I've been showing you truth, and it's galling you. I've been showing you my power of the gospel, and it's galling you. It's hard to do it, isn't it? You're just suffering under it because you're resisting what you know is true. But Paul saw the power of the gospel in the lives of those that went before him. And then Paul experienced the power of the gospel in his own life. He experienced it. Paul was awakened by God, and he was awakened to his deep spiritual need and his separation from God, and he knew he wasn't in the right place, and he knew there was nothing that he could do and that he had done trying to prove how righteous and how zealous he was for God, that it hadn't solved his problem at all and following all the laws. He knew he was separated from God, and then Paul, seeing this and recognizing that he was still lost in his sin, repented of his sins. Paul put his faith in Jesus Christ, and he believed in him, and Paul was instantly turned to him. In order to ask him, Paul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Just show me what to do. And Paul began to receive the regenerating work and power of Christ coming and God pouring his life into him. And Paul, who was a hater and persecutor of Christians, became a lover of Christ and a lover of people. He wanted to bring them just good news. He was ready to do it. That became his life. Drawn out from because of this great regenerating life that he received in Jesus Christ. And then Paul found the witness of the Holy Spirit coming to him, giving victory to him over all kinds of temptations, including this temptation. Including this temptation. Do you have a testimony like that? Do you have a testimony like that? I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to SavingEvangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.